Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Pastor uh, Devin and the worship team, including my wonderful wife, for leading us in worship. Um, I want to begin by thanking Pastor Nathan for the privilege to do something I love to do, to share the word with uh, a number of people that we've grown to, to love over the past uh, couple years at Christ Church Highland Park. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. When was the last time that you asked God for something you desperately wanted? The first time I can remember asking God for de- uh, something that I really, really wanted was when I was in junior high and the new uh, video game system, Nintendo, had come out with uh, Tecmo Bowl. And I wanted the game so badly. I'd asked my parents for it. And I remember praying in church, God, i got to have this game. And I got the game. My life changed for a couple weeks. And then it was back to normal. And uh, some of you laugh. I can look back at that point in my life and say that was pretty frivolous, pretty unimportant. But when we're in the middle of asking for something we really want, it seems like it's of the utmost importance. And our requests change as we grow uh, from a video game to later on a girlfriend, a boyfriend, entrance into the college we want to be, a husband or a wife, a good job, health, concerns for our children and grandchildren. I remember when I was about 16 years old and I asked my mom what she wanted for her birthday and she said, just one day of peace and quiet here at home. And I thought to myself, that's weird. I was ready to spend 10 bucks on you, Mom. And uh, now I find myself asking for the same thing, uh, especially this weekend as Bona was gone. Um, but I, when I look at my own life, I get concerned at times that no matter how important our requests are, and many of the ones that we just prayed for are very important, that at times things that we so desperately want get in the way of us asking for God's best. I remember about five years ago when Bona and I were in Kosovo before we came here to the North Shores of Chicago, and um, she was sick during uh, our second pregnancy with Joanna, and uh, I remember leaving the house each day as she was uh, not doing well, asking, begging God to... Uh, heal her, begging God to send just one person there in the city that we were in to stop by to see her so that she would know that she's loved, that she's uh, dear to people that were there. And I pray this day after day after day. And what I was essentially saying, and I realized this after a while, I was saying, God, are you going to give me what I want Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You've been praying and praying for something that's important, for someone you dearly love. And you wonder, will God give me what I want? I want to encourage you with a simple truth from God's word this morning. Pray your heavenly Father will give you what he wants. Not necessarily what I want to have for myself or for others. Not necessarily what you want or what you're asking. But your Father in Heaven will give you what He wants you to have. 
invite you to take a look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, the passage that Nathan just read for us. And we're going to take a look at what Jesus teaches us in prayer on prayer. And at the end of the meeting, I'm going to ask you to make a decision to pray God's agenda for your life, to ask what he wants. Now, I realize that I don't need to give some of you three reasons to pray. You're already praying. You're doing what Mike, Pastor Mike talks about. You're 10 plus 10 each morning or as you hop on the metro before you walk into a boardroom meeting. Uh, as you're sitting down with a client, or if you're going to be on the softball team, before you step up to the plate, you pray. And you're not saying, Josh, give me three reasons to pray. You're thinking, how should I pray? This is the exact question that the disciples ask Jesus. Uh, We begin in verse 1, chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. They'd seen Jesus go alone to be with the Father. And they say, tell us how to do this. And in answering their question, Jesus gives us three life-changing lessons on prayer. He doesn't answer every question we have about prayer in this passage, but let's take a look at what he does say. Lesson number one, pray seeking God's agenda, verses two through four. What's on God's agenda for our prayer lives? Verse two, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Or in the other version of this prayer in Matthew, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. On God's agenda for our prayers, is for it to begin with worship. And a type of worship that may be unfamiliar to us. Did first century Jews like Peter, James, and John, Jesus' disciples, know that God was their father? Yes, it's it's in the Old Testament. God describes Israel as his firstborn son. But for them to address God as father when they prayed would have been a big jump. And maybe some of you here say, man, I've been praying that prayer since I can remember. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I can pray to my sleep, you might think. But addressing and thinking about what it means for God to be our Father may be a bit of a struggle. As I was praying through this prayer earlier this week and said our Father, a picture of my dad popped into my mind. I'm reminded of how we live in a world where we have imperfect fathers, And we can't, with just the snap of a finger, change our idea of what God, of God being our Father. But these are the intimate terms that Jesus teaches us to pray with. God's agenda continues. Your kingdom come. If you walked into Christ Church Highland Park today, you might be wondering, what does it mean for us to pray, your kingdom come? The idea here is that we pray and we ask God, bring forth the day when King Jesus will come here to earth and will reign and rule in righteousness, where there's no longer the injustice that exists in so many families and so many places of society. And all it takes is a 
listening briefly to what's going on or a quick look at the Tribune or the Sun-Times to realize most people do not honor God as their king. That's part of this prayer, but it's not all of it. It's also a prayer for God to reign and rule in my life and in yours. And again, all it takes is a quick look deep into our own hearts to realize God doesn't reign as king in every area of our lives. And so we pray and we seek God's agenda as we pray. What else is on it? Jesus continues in verse 3, teaching us to pray, Give us each day our daily bread. A couple summers ago, Bone and I were back in Albania for a few weeks, and in one of the churches there about this size, I used an Albanian proverb translated into English means, you work today to eat tomorrow. And I sat down with one of the church leaders for lunch, and he said, Josh, that's the reality for about 60% of the people in this country. Now, I realize it's not the reality for most of us here. We know where our food is going to come from today, tomorrow. I have enough food in our refrigerator uh, for about a week if we needed to drag it out that long. So what does it mean for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? I found that as I pray this prayer, it teaches me to wrestle with the reality that if my basic needs are met, Jesus is sufficient. He's all that I need, and I can ultimately be content in Him. But this is a struggle. Well, what else is on God's agenda as we pray? Look at verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Some of you might be saying, Josh, I was doing pretty well until you got to this one. You might be like the guy who said, I love the church. It's just those people I can't stand. Um, and if, uh, if this was Pastor Mike preaching... Right about now in the service, I might be turning to Bona and saying, hey, honey, later on I have something to apologize about. Uh, But thankfully I knew I was going to be preaching today and uh, so made sure everything was okay before the service. Um, But what about you? So think about the person sitting next to you, your husband, your wife, your parents. Is there anger and bitterness in your heart? As we pray this prayer, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It teaches us to wrestle with the idea, how can I truly say I've understood that God has forgiven me if I can't forgive others? And so we pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those spouses, children, parents, colleagues, who sin against us. There's one final part of this prayer that's on God's agenda. In verse 4, lead us not into temptation. Or in the longer version of this prayer, Matthew, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this teaches us to look to Christ in the hour of our deepest need, 
in that dark, dark time where you feel like, I can't go on. I can't obey. It's too hard. To look to God in that hour. This may be the hour that some men here in this room find themselves in when they're far away from their families on business. Or any time you have an iPad in your hands. It may be the hour that some of you parents find yourself in when your children are making decisions that you don't want them to make. This is the hour that I was in when I would leave our home each day there in Kosovo thinking about my wife and wondering, am I really doing my job as a husband? Well, that's God's agenda for our prayer lives in this passage. And I want to ask you, are you praying God's agenda? Are you seeking His agenda? Are you praying what He wants? I'm not trying to say that you can't pray for anything else. The things we prayed for earlier are important. There may be things that are on your prayer list that are important. But the promises that Jesus makes here that follow this prayer are for when we pray His agenda. So it's easy to take these promises out of context and say, ask and you will receive. I'm going to get that job I want. Or Mercedes-Benz, here we come. All I have to do is just keep knocking. I remember some guys on the floor my uh, freshman year of college saying, hey, the girl of my dreams is going to come around sooner or later. I'm just going to keep asking God. But no, this is not a, these are not blanket promises for every prayer we pray. It's for when we pray God's agenda. So how should we pray? Pray seeking God's agenda. And pray, second, knowing He'll come through. Verses 5 through 8. Where Jesus tells two versions of this story that Pastor Nathan read for us earlier. I don't want you to walk out the doors and miss the exciting promise that's in this prayer. So I'm going to give a little background before I tell these stories. Uh, True story, as I was preparing and studying this passage, my dad and I had breakfast together, and it turned out our waitress was from Israel. And so thinking about this, I asked her, I said, what would happen if someone came to your father's home in the village that you're from, and um, he showed up late at night unannounced? And she said, well, my father would ask him to spend the night, and if he hadn't had anything to eat, we would give him a very nice meal to show hospitality. And then I said, what what would happen if you didn't have any food at home? And she answered, well, we would go out to the stores and buy some. And then without missing a beat, she said, and if there were no stores open, we would go to our neighbors. And they would always come through for us because they've been in the same situation, and someone else has helped them out in their time of need. So with that in mind, imagine these two versions of this story that Jesus tells. Verses 5 through 7 in the original Greek are one sentence. Try to picture this in your mind's eye. Verse 5, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has come on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And then the one inside answers, Ah, it's that guy. He's not a good friend or anything, so. Hey, look, 
My kids are already in bed. The door is shut. I, I, I can't get up and give you anything. That's the first version. And laughter is almost expected. Because that's not what's, that's not what's going to happen. Not in Israel where hospitality and coming through in a time of need is so important. No, 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 no. Jesus tells the real version, version in verse 8. And again, picture this. A person goes to his friend at midnight. Hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has come on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside. Oh, it's that guy. He's not a good friend or anything, but he needs to show hospitality to a guest. I don't want to look like I'm the stingy one. If I don't come through for him, perhaps the entire reputation of our village is on the line. So I will get up and give him not just three loaves of bread, but everything that you need. And so Jesus uses this parable, this story, to teach us this lesson. If friends come through for each other in a time of need, even if they're not best friends, how much more your Father in heaven? Think about it. If you'll come through for someone else, even if they're not the person that you really love, but just because you know this is what I should do as a friend, this is what's expected of me, this is what they did for me, if you're willing to do that, how much more will our Father in heaven come through and uphold his honor by keeping his word and answering the very prayer that he tells you to pray. So people have wronged you. People have hurt you. And you struggle to pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. You say, Josh, I just don't know how it's going to happen. I've been praying this for years. I just don't see me ever being able to forgive that person. How can you stand there and tell me God's going to come through? What confidence can I have? Let me tell you what gives me confidence in the times where I struggle. I look back and I realize that God has come through in my hour of greatest need and I know he's going to come through again with a smaller need. What do I mean? A few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, I believe, Pastor Mike shared the story of someone drowning and how he wasn't willing to jump in and risk his own life to save the person. And he used that as an illustration for those of us, for all of us in this room, who have sinned, who have fallen short of what God asked. It's like we're drowning in a lake. We can't swim. There's no way we can pull ourselves out. The only way for us to be saved is for someone else to reach down, to jump in, and to pull us out. And God knows that it's going to cost Jesus his life. But the Father gives him the nod, and Jesus jumps in to save us. That's what he does in our hour of greatest need. And if you know he saved you, it's like the, some of the songs that we sing here 
about God making a wretch like me and you his treasure. So that's the confidence we can have. We know he'll come through again in the future because he came through in our hour of greatest need. How should we pray? We pray first, seeking God's agenda, knowing he'll come through, and finally pray expecting his best. Verses 9 through 13. Let's read verses 9 and 10 again. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. So we're to ask, seek, and knock. And so you pray and you pray expecting what to happen. Maybe you're a person who's struggling to forgive. And you're praying, you're praying, you want to forgive. Nothing happens. Maybe you're someone who struggles to be content with what you have. As I've heard other men share at Men's Fraternity, it's not about how much we have. This can be a struggle for any of us. Or maybe you're someone who's single and you struggle to be content. You're praying or a husband, or a wife. And you don't see how you could ever be content until something changes. Or maybe you're married, and you say, Josh, pray, expecting God's best. You don't know who I'm stuck with. And you think, how could I ever be content in this marriage? Maybe you're wondering how you can expect God's best as you pray Lead us not into temptation. So what is it that we're to expect here? What is it that God wants to give us? Jesus answers this question in the story he tells in verses 11 through 13. What's being compared here? It's the giving of gifts. And it's like the other story. If people do this, how much more will our Father in heaven do? So picture the story. It's uh, Saturday morning, not this Saturday when I was with the kids and they just had cereal, but last Saturday when uh, their mom is home and Bona has made the kids' favorite breakfast, pancakes and uh, eggs, and uh, Sarah, Joanna, and Ben are there. They're getting ready to eat. Sarah puts her fork into the egg, gets a knife ready, and ah, a snake comes out all of a sudden. Bona's attempt at a practical joke. Sounds kind of weird even for me to say it, because you know it wouldn't happen, right? Those of you that know Bona and I know she wouldn't do that. And even others of you that don't know us here realize, hey, as much as I know Josh from the last 15 or 20 minutes, I don't think he would do that. Because that's just the way things are. Even ordinary, run-of-the-mill parents who are imperfect, who are sinful, don't purposely give their kids something that will hurt them in the place of a good gift. No, they give good gifts. And if parents do that for their children, if they'll give the best gift they can, how much more our Father 
in heaven. And what is it that he wants to give us? Don't miss this. This is the key to the entire passage. Look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's best is himself. And Jesus teaches us to pray here, expecting God's best. At this time, this is before Jesus died and rose from the dead and would ascend into heaven. So he tells his disciples, when you ask the Father, he'll send his Spirit. Jesus was God clothed in human flesh, and the Spirit was just as much God as Jesus. And now we look back after Jesus has died, rose again after the Spirit has come. And we realize that when God's Spirit lives in us, He's given us His best. So what difference does this make? Let me give you a brief 30-second version of the difference this made in my life when I was praying, and I so desperately wanted for my wife to quickly get better, or for her to have a close friend in the city we, li- we lived in, like some of the friends that she's had here over the past couple years. As I prayed, and as I realized that I'm asking God to give me what I want, maybe not necessarily what he wants, I began to realize for the first time that perhaps I'm part of this problem. That wasn't even on my radar at the time. But I began to dig deeper and to begin to scratch the surface of what it means to be a Christian husband, what it means to look for God to come through in my life and in my wife's life as well. What will it look like in your life as you pray, knowing that God will come through, expecting his best? I don't know exactly. But I want to challenge you this morning and ask you, invite you to pray for what God wants in your life. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand before I close in prayer as a visual reminder for us for the decision to pray God's agenda and for us to pray for one another this week as we go out and do the things that God has called us to do. Maybe this is something that you realize will involve an extreme makeover for your prayer life because you've been praying things that are pretty far from God's agenda. And so you're really going to have to change to pray what He wants. Or maybe you have been praying day after day, year after year for what God wants. You haven't seen it answered You've signed on long ago, and so today is just a reaffirmation of what's already been true in your life. First, I want to invite those of you that are called by God to be in the field of education, whether it's as a student or as a teacher, as a professor, or whether it's in administrative support in some way, to stand and as a visual acknowledgement that you choose to pray God's agenda. So you can go ahead and stand if you're in that field and 
you would like to pray for God's agenda. I'd like to invite those of you that are in the corporate world, that are called by God to do what you do, whether it's in finance, sales, marketing, whether you're uh, a business executive or a business owner, if you're seeking God's agenda, I invite you to stand right now as well. So we want to look around and see who's here and remind ourselves to pray for each other as we go into the places where God has called us to be this week, seeking his agenda. And i got to say I'm honored to stand with many of you who are here because I know that you make difficult decisions each week to honor God in the places where you are at. Well, if I went through every field one by one, I'm sure I'd miss someone. So I invite everyone else who's here, uh, those that are in the military, those that work with their hands, stay-at-home moms, moms that uh, go to work, moms that work from home, anyone else who's here today, uh, if you want to seek God's agenda this week, I invite you to stand. And let's close our time in prayer. Father, we thank you for these amazing promises that you make in your word. Help us today and this week as we seek your agenda, as we pray that we would live out your agenda in our lives. Give us grace and strength that you would reign in our lives this week. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we... uh